Cheers, Worcester. It's January the 9th, 2018, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Mellican. How's it going, Mike? <laughs> Brendan, it's going okay. We're distributing the show this week via Unity Radio 102.9 FM, WCCA TV Channel 194, YouTube, an MP3 podcast. Some, kind, just whatever some kind of live streaming. We have a Facebook account, Brendan. We have a Twitter account. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You did some math, right? And, and you were able to figure out exactly what, our, uh, what we're trying we are, to do. We are broadcasting at... 0.000001 gigawatts, gigawatts to Massachusetts. That's, That's a right. lot of power right there. That's right. That's right. Um, what do we have lined up for the show today? Today, uh, today we're going to talk about Worcester. This is a show where we talk about Worcester today. We're going to talk about Worcester. And mostly I think we're going to try to understand how to, how to uh, do this show on this radio thing and not screw things up too much. And by the way, we should thank Hank Stoltz, who's going to be sitting over there quietly engineering this episode of the show. Um... Today, Brendan, I want you to tell me a story. I want us to tell each other stories. You know, we, uh, we understand things, obviously, through stories most of the time. And a lot of the time, the stories fade into the background. We get lost in those stories. So I want to turn up our story sense up about 10% and talk about what are the stories we use to understand Worcester? Um, are they current in 2018? Are they, were they ever accurate? Probably um, not. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is, the kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff that I'm curious to talk about. Like, right now, we talk about... Um, you know, the Worcester Renaissance, right? We talk about one of the stories that we use to understand Worcester, or a story that we struggle with especially, is Mike Gaffney's time on the Worcester City Council. Obviously, a lot of things happened that were not Mike Gaffney related during that time, but we should call that the Gaffney years as a good shorthand. Mm -hmm. A story which is very hard to integrate into the larger story of Worcester, so much to the point that um, it's almost like the Star Wars Christmas special of Worcester politics. We Not, don't actually need a Wookiee Christmas to explain uh, This is anything. the thing. Yeah. yeah, this is the thing. It's like if you, were, if you were explaining Star Wars to your friend in 1984 or 2014, you would never bring up Wookiee Christmas. You would just kind of neglect that part. Not because it's, like, terrible. Like, the Star Wars Christmas special is terrible. I don't want to insult Mike Gaffney by saying, like, he's as bad as the Star Wars Christmas special, because he's not. I'm just saying it's a part of the story which is... Hard to integrate into the larger thing, and it doesn't add anything. That that's that's really the the important part. I think is that yes. you know Worcester is this really interesting city in that because it's it's somewhat provincial in a way, but a lot of us have been here multi generationally, right? So we all we adopt these stories, and we actually have this sort of a this oral narrative uh, that defines us. Some of those stories are completely made up and it's nonsense, uh, but a lot of them actually are the aspects of our personalities and our city that 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 give us some direction. And I think it's really easy when you look at you know, you were using uh, Councillor Gaffney as an example, that you've got this period of time. If you take a step back and look at it, d does that add anything to the, the conversation or, or the long-term story of the city? Or is it something that can just be cut loose? And maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's taking up some space in our heads uh, where we should be focused on something else. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the idea that um, th there are uh, how these stories need to be told and whatnot. Like, I'm a big fan of the idea that right now we're, we're all talking about development in Worcester. We're talking downtown development in particular. You go back to the 50s, 60s, and 70s, go into the archives of the Telegram and the other publications that were in the city at the time, and you'll find that we were having the exact same conversations about the city of Worcester back in the 50s and 60s as we are today. Even the, even the names of the parcels, right, haven't been changed. The parcels identified for hotel development, for entertainment and whatnot the exact same stories. The, it, 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 All these plans were just put in limbo, put on, put in, uh, uh, not kryptonite, what, carbonite. Carbonite. Frozen in carbonite. <laughs> it, 
And this is kind of, I think, what, 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 where we do ourselves a disservice. You know, the cynics among us will say that's because, you know, we're, we're, we're the consummate failures here in the city of Worcester. The reality is that there are outside forces, most oftentimes economically related, that stalled all of these uh, processes in one... And your theory is that it's mostly the RICO Act? Well, I think that's also <laughs> is another side part of that, too, is you go back to the 70s and, and there were a lot of RICO investigations that seemed to stall the large-scale development in the city of I Worcester. I love this theory. This is my favorite theory of Worcester economic development, the theory that, like, at some point the drug money dried up, so people stopped laundering money through downtown Worcester, so everything was just put on hold for a couple of generations. Or it wasn't necessarily the drug money dry, dried up, it was that the feds realized that's where all the money was coming from. Oh, yeah. okay. And so okay. I, you know, oh, sure, the drug money didn't drive up. Just the the, the 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 drugs to the drugs to downtown development pipeline was shut off. But regardless of, of what it's taken for us to get to where we are, and, and I love this kind of conversation because as a lifer here, I've genuinely never felt better about the city of Worcester. Um, but I also think it's incredibly important to keep an eye on that institutional knowledge and the background that, and understanding to get how we got to where we are. Sure. And those are the things that I think get lost because we get so tied up in the day-to-day mundane aspects of personalities, uh, you know, identity-driven politics and whatnot, mm-hmm. that again, just don't add anything. They're, they're not worth retaining. So it's time to start retconning. Well, you know, I sort of, I mean, I, I think I disagree with that statement. <laughs> that they don't add anything. Like, they can be helpful ways to understand what's going on. They can be great shorthand for understanding what's going on. They can also be a huge distraction, and mm-hmm. they can be completely wrong. So I think they're just something to be careful about, or at least something to be aware about. Um, yeah. You know what I think we need to do, and maybe Hank can jump in here too, because we always love hearing his voice. Uh, we should make sure that people know that they can call in and tell us how we're both wrong. Because we can sit here all day, and we do this all the time, just telling each other how we're wrong. But I would love to hear people, the other 200,000 people hanging out in the city, telling us how we're, we're wrong. They can, they can call in at 508-471-5265, and they can defend the Star Wars Christmas special if that's what they need to do. As they should. Somebody needs to defend the Star Wars Christmas special. Oh, we have a few more. Do we have a few more minutes before, the, before our first little break here? Oh, I hate to tell you how long you have before your first break. Oh, yeah, you've got, about, you've got a good 10 minutes. Perfect. You've got a good 10 minutes. Great. I, I wanted to jump right in then. Well, I wanted to touch base on a couple more of the stories that we tell that I think are probably wrong or else problematic. We're not going to go into the details of why they're wrong now, just to talk about, just to give people a sense of the kind of stories we're talking about. One is the story that Worcester and Providence are comparable and that we should judge ourselves by the standard of Providence, that we should look to Providence as a peer. I think this is completely crazy. But you hear this all the time, including from people who have been very successfully operating in Worcester for decades. I don't understand why they think that Worcester and Providence are peers. I strongly disagree. Give us the 10,000-foot uh, overview, though, as to why, why that doesn't make any sense. I mean, the 10,000-foot overview for, for why that doesn't make any sense um, is that uh, Worcester is much less urban than Providence. The population of Worcester in 2010 census was 181,000. The population of Providence was 178,000. But Worcester is twice as large physically as Providence. So it has half the population density. We only have, uh, what, uh, Worcester has like almost 5,000 people per square mile. Province has almost 10,000 people per square mile. And this is a byproduct, not just a... And, and there's there's more, more. Brendan. (laughs) You're already ready to buy this knife set, but there's more. And what's more is that many of the cities that border Providence, like North Providence, like Central Falls, like Pawtucket, have a higher population density than Worcester. Mm-hmm. So Providence is like a big metro area of hundreds of thousands of people, and Worcester is main south, surrounded by fairly dense suburbs, surrounded by farms. Yeah, you kind of get to the point where you're not really sure when you're in Holden or Worcester anymore. We yeah, aren't yeah. going to mention Holden, but yeah. we are going to mention I'm, Holden in that capacity. Sure. Yeah, it might as well be part of... I mean, I'm going to mention two other places that are outside Worcester too, which is that, this is a bit of a drastic uh, comparison, but 
Washington, D.C. and the state of Wyoming have about the same population, roughly. You would never want to hear the governor of Wyoming talking about how they're going to follow some economic development plan. They're going to do some festival that worked well in D.C. or vice versa, because that's crazy. Now, Worcester and Providence are a lot closer together. Uh, on that on that uh, on that line than than DC and Wyoming, but sure. it's a similar kind of a thing. It's no, a similar absolutely. problem. And I, I believe there's the other uh, side of that as well too, where we're talking about uh, census tracts as a whole too. We we do a, a disservice sometimes in only focusing on the census numbers for a particular city or a town or what have you. But what the, especially in New England, the Census Bureau looks at larger uh, land masses because they need a certain population size to use as a as a sample to be able to gauge density uh, and economic development within that region. And Worcester's census tract, if, I remember last time I looked, I think it's like part of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Like it's this huge tract mm. of land that goes all the way down into Eastern Connecticut, whereas the Providence census tract really just makes up that area that you just described that is this incredibly dense urban area. So yeah, the, the comparisons end uh, as soon as they begin. I wanna, I wanna talk about a couple more stories since we have the time. What, you know, One very popular story is that Worcester's a terrible dump. This, again, is a story that I think is not a very helpful story, a very accurate story, but very popular, especially among people on the Internet who have not lived in Worcester for a long time. A very popular story. One you story that the comments on the Telegram Gazette website are, are not always factual? I, I haven't even looked at I'm not even talking about those comments. There are so much worse comment sections in the world now since that comment section debuted. Um, Worcester, that Worcester is a place where you can never leave, that you're a traitor uh, if you leave Worcester. Actually, there's an even older story, which is that Worcester is a place you should definitely leave. We'll get into that later. Uh, there's a story that Worcester's government is Plan E, and has because of our weak mayor and our weak council, and so we should just think about the our politicians as these, as I like to call them, LARPing ombudsmen. This is maybe a story which is problematic because uh, you know maybe things are changing on that front. How are we doing on time? You're, you're five, fine. five. You can keep sorry, all day. I, I know this is. I mean, this this is part of the meta ness of talking about stories. We're talking about the story of this. A show right here. Like the fact that we can't figure out how many minutes we have. Let me sleep my watch. Um, we've got a story that housing should be the new priority in Worcester. This is a story that the mayor has put out. And the fact that the mayor has put out a story or an agenda about Worcester is one of those things that throws into chaos the story that we well, should understand our local politicians as being uh, ombudsmen. It automatically gives it a bunch of weight. And the reality is, which is, is, is fine and fantastic, that one, it is an incredibly important topic that we should be talking about. Uh, but two, people have been talking about it for, for all time, right? I mean, th- there has never been in the history of homeownership a homeowner that wasn't interested in talking about housing. That, that's kind of part of it. It's like talking about your new car, you're going to talk about your home. We have this incredible uh, amount of housing stock that has been neglected in the city, as well as an, a, a, a huge influx of a new demographic that is, is clearly seeking uh, different types of housing. So it probably has never been a better time to be talking about it right now. And there's, there's, there, there's a, a, a large number of of smaller details within that bigger subject that need to be diced apart. But we also can't allow ourselves to do it a service that there's been people in the city, especially in the last decade or so, that have been trying to really pick apart that housing stock and uh, make the most of it. And oftentimes they feel as though they, they necessarily weren't getting the attention they should have from City Hall. Mm-hmm. Definitely true, definitely true. Um, you know, there's, as you said, there's so many stories that we tell ourselves about downtown development. We saw there was an article in Commonwealth Magazine that came out today, which is focusing especially on Technicopia, yes. the beloved makerspace in downtown Worcester, a place that I love so much, Brendan, and a place, I don't know if you've been in there. Lately. I've been there multiple times. Oh, I just was in there a couple, a couple weeks ago, and every time I'm in there, it's just like, 
10% better than the last time I was in there. If anyone listening isn't familiar with Technicopia, it's a makerspace <clears throat> up on the uh, top floor of the Davis Printers building down on Portland Street. Uh, if nothing else, if, if for any of you that, that like to think that there are things that we can't do in Worcester because of our old building stock or you know uh, the, the factory sort of landscape, the old mill town, this is a, a building that houses uh, basically like CNC machines that are like using that are cutting like laser machines that are like building robots to rebuild the machine there's there's crazy stuff there that I'm far far too stupid to fully understand but it's not the kind of place you would expect to be find on the top floor of a century old you know mill building and it's but like their fire suppression systems are through the roof the fire department from my my understanding is is like was like thrilled that this was like like next gen stuff that was happening in the city that was making doing use it of right. ex- existing spaces they're doing it right everything about the place uh, flies in the face of what you probably assume is possible uh, and should be here in the city of Worcester and it's this incredible space that if you read this commonwealth magazine article the folks that are running it are themselves no joke you know the the, the folks running Harrington who is running the, Kevin uh, Harrington one of my favorite 508 guests of all time yeah, I'm such mean, a great maniac he is he, he is a maniacal a genius guy. Uh, when he's not running uh, Technicopia, he's running the robotics lab at WPI, right? So we're, we're talking about some legit personalities here. And yeah, just this fantastic space. And to, to read about it, even if you're familiar with it, to read about it through the lens of the writers of Commonwealth Magazine and this story that is trying to push the idea that, hey, yeah, for the rest of you, the other 7 million people in the Commonwealth that are still making fun of Worcester, what they're doing is actually happening. And it's probably about time you start paying attention to it. Uh, fascinating take on local events. There are so many, I mean, there's so many other things we can just, uh, you know, that are part of that story. The restaurant, the restaurant scene is a story which I completely do not follow, but I know is an important story to Worcester, an important story to a lot of people. And we will definitely get into that today because there's some items coming up on tonight's council agenda that stand to impact that. Sure. Uh, You know, um, the sprinkler, the sprinkler factory is like uh, expanding these days. And, you know, the sprinkler factory like had such a... uh, uh, that's such a dramatic arc over the last 20 years, I guess, of like, you know, um, feast and famine over there. And to see them back in like feast mode is mm-hmm. spectacular. And, you know, the Worcester, the Worcester Veg Fest is coming up in a few months. It remains this problem. This, the New England Veg Fest, actually, I should call it, remains this problem that there's just no venue in Worcester large enough to have <laughs> this event. Like, uh, you know, an embarrassment of riches. These are all parts of stories that we tell ourselves about this stuff. And now... Hank is taking us to a break over there, and Brendan and I are going to talk to the people watching on television with this I'm going camera. to suggest that I think um, this this needs to die for today. That we need to not video it at all? I think so, yeah. You're, you're looking like you're getting distracted when you're going back and forth between your notes and, and that. I want to do it. I want to put it out there. <laughs> Blast from the five way past. Do you remember the one episode that you can literally not understand any of the words because it's mostly static? Yeah. So this is not going to be worse than that. There's no <laughs> way it's going to be worse than that. that. Um... But the lack of visual for the camera audience versus the folks that are going to hear something disjointed because it's only audio right. or the radio. Right. I'm getting. Uh, I, I'm just are not you getting your feeling? sultry NPR voice. All that, right. So. Well, I I will move into sultry NPR mode then in the second half. Well, well, at least give me a shot here. At least yeah. give me a shot. Um, okay, how much time in these uh, breaks are? You good in sixty seconds? Or you Perfect. want a little bit more? No, sixty that's fine. seconds. We'll come back. <clears throat> What do you want to uh, dive into? I think uh, I think I want to talk about why people should feel free to betray Worcester. <laughs> All right.
Um, and th- I can charge some sultry NPR on this. This might be a lot of me reading pieces of paper. So That's if, you, fine. if you want to talk, just interrupt me and we can. Uh, I'm good at that. You can talk for a while. Alright, 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Spectacular. And at some point in. You're gonna walk us back in, though. We're gonna walk us back in. Okay. Great. Ready? What is. This is amazing. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Welcome back. This is Five Way Show about Worcester. I'm Michael Benedetti. Thank you for that, Hank. I saw that coming in the background, and I, I'm glad that we can uh, slide in the, the Wookiee Christmas. And, and and this is Brendan Malik, and we're sitting here attempting to, to, to tape something for television and do a radio show for the first time at the same time. I think it's going great. <laughs> Everyone, I hope you're having a good time. If you want to call up and tell us whether it's going good or bad, you can call us at 508 471 5265. I want to talk about the oldest story. Worcester's oldest story about mm. itself. At least essentially it is the story of Worcester right here. Yeah, at le- this is at least of the sort of Eurocentric part of Worcester history, which is the history part of Worcester history. Um, you know, Worcester, like a lot of places, there's a, people take a great deal of pride in their Worcester roots. Sure. Like you yourself, your great 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 grandparents or something were probably born in Worcester. Doesn't right? go back that far. Whatever. But, yeah. but you're you know you have got you've got like Worcester roots. I don't you have. No, as far as as far as I, I know, my family has existed in, in County Clare in Ireland and Worcester. That's it. Like, yeah, I mean, they've spread out since here, you know, to other parts of the United States sure. and other parts of the world. Sure. But, like, from a, a lineage perspective, yeah, it was County Clare, Sure. And, and I think that those sorts of roots are terrific. I think that loyalty to a city in general is terrific. I think they're also kind of weird. I mean, well, we can be honest about well, it, too. I, they are weird to me, but I don't know that I yeah. live a typical, I've had a typical life. Um, uh, I think... That because of Worcester's proximity to so many other large cultural centers like mm-hmm. New York, Boston, even a little place like Providence, um, people tend to get frustrated when somebody in Worcester is doing something amazing and then they say, I want to take my career to the next level. I want to explore different things about life. I'm going to move an hour away, four hours away around the world. And I hear people sometimes kind of like guilt people like you're betraying Worcester. Like, come on, man. Sure. Are you really going to leave Worcester? Are you really going to do that? But I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that when you say that, that's not the Worcester spirit. No. That's the exact opposite of the Worcester spirit. Because I want to read something from uh, the old Worcester website about the Worcester Fire Department. This is, this is how they start their history of the Worcester Fire Department. The first recorded fire in Worcester's history occurred on December 2nd, 1675, when all the houses in Quinsigamon were burned to the ground by the Nipmuc Indians. No lives were lost as the settlement had been abandoned earlier as a precaution against Indian attack. Then 25 years later, it happened again. The city was settled and then it was abandoned, except for one family. That family killed, killed slash kidnapped. Then it was abandoned again for like another decade or whatever. And finally resettled for real. So Brendan, the oldest tradition in our history is the tradition of leaving when the time is right. Right. And that might not be right now, but at least folks should keep in mind, it is okay to pack up and leave every once in a while. Sometimes that might even be necessary. It might be the only thing that keeps your family line alive. Yeah, there's some pretty... It was a rough time, man. I mean, I, I mean, think it was a rough time to be... I think it was a rough time to be an Indian, and it was a rough time to be being killed by Indians. Clearly out here. But we put things together. General Gage finally put eyes on us and realized that we were not to be trifled with, and, uh, you know, the rest is, is literally American history. Do you, Brendan, would you like me to read you 
from Worcester, the book Worcester Legends, or would you like to talk a little bit more about your thoughts about uh, Wookie. Worcester stories? No, you know what I would love? To, you mentioned um, sure. service. I'd love to bring things a little bit more contemporary and whatnot. There's something coming up, yeah, thanks to you, I, I realize this. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly talking about the growth that's happening in the city, and, and this is important, I think, for a, a number of reasons, not just because strong economic growth is an indicator of healthiness in any community, but because we've had, I think, within every generation in Worcester over the last, I don't know, three generations, it hasn't always looked so rosy, right? I mean, we, we're just starting to get the tail end of the folks who like to tell us that we once had this flourishing uh, economic center of uh, industry, light industry right. and whatnot. And I think we've, we've all grown up around here with the idea that someday those factories will come back and uh, everything will be better and it'll be just like it was when our great-grandparents grew up. Well, and I'll tell you, also I think a lot of people grew up around here with a lot of stories about, oh yeah, we're going to rehab downtown. Oh yeah, we're going to rehab the Southwestern Industrial Park. Oh yeah, Renewed Prosperity is just around the corner with this one urban renewal project. And these projects either haven't happened or have not been that impactful. Well, and I, I think part of it too is a lack of perspective that the economic landscape nationally and internationally has changed to the point where the things that uh, many Worcester residents, I think, grew up with knowing and being comfortable with from, from uh, like, say, a job or an employment perspective, just are not coming back. The, the likelihood of us ever seeing them in our lifetimes, uh, you know, heavy industry, uh, manufacturing, in, in the, the sort that we saw 40, 50 years ago, mm-hmm. we're just not going to see that back. But we are seeing this incredible resurgence of new ideas, ideas oftentimes that are uncomfortable for lifers around here. One of those areas right now is like the service industry, right? We're seeing this incredible growth with restaurants and uh, bars, entertainment venues and whatnot uh, that are way outside the norm for Worcester. And, and it, you know, I think one of the things that's fun to look at is that oftentimes Worcester seems to be about 10 years behind the curve in terms of trends or whatnot. So we're just starting to get now a lot of the things that other major cities have been comfortable with for quite some time now. Mm-hmm. But anything new tends to make pe- people comfortable. And in that service industry vein, I just noticed that there's a... Uh, an item, or you pointed out to me, there's an item coming up in the council agenda tonight looking to cap the number of liquor licenses. Yeah, I think that this is because of the marijuana legalization legislation says that you have to have at least a fifth as many marijuana selling places as liquor selling places. Right. So if we were to put over on the side for a second the idea that there might be some city councilors who are still uncomfortable with the idea that 70% of Americans really want legal weed, um, let's just look at like the, the liquor license side of things. That's one of the only reasons why we have the growth that we do in Worcester for the service industry with restaurants and bars. Is that you can, is that if you want, if you want to open a restaurant, you say, do I want to open someplace closer to Boston and not sell liquor? Or do I want to open up in Worcester where I can just sell liquor and it's not a huge deal? Or a little bit more nuanced, I think it's do, do I want to open up in Boston where there is a built-in population and audience that I know I can do well on, but the cost of acquiring a liquor license is so high that it's either going to require a completely different schedule of funding or it's going to re- re- require far more time in securing a liquor license. Whereas here in the city of Worcester, it just costs $2,500. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if it were to be a couple million dollars, say, in a, in a highly sought area of, of Boston to develop a restaurant uh, and, and, and waiting a significant amount of time to find that license, uh, you could then take whatever that figure of dollars is and reinvest in, in Worcester, both uh, in jobs uh, and in renovating buildings. Uh, all the things that we want to have done here. Mm-hmm. And bringing it back to the marijuana sort of thing, now here's this total unknown that nobody has any idea where it's actually going to go, but because this this license figure for the, the, the recreational marijuana side is pegged to the number of liquor licenses that we have, 
because a small percentage of, of folks in the city are still terrified by the idea of legalized recreational weed, they're actually looking to potentially... I'm sort of terrified by it, just FYI. Well, that's fine. You're more welcome to be terrified by it. it I'm, could part be of, I'm part of that elite small percentage. But I haven't heard you suggest that we should be uh, looking to decimate one of the fat, one of the highest growth areas of our local economy, being no. in the restaurant no. and service industry, no. just to keep the devil weed out, right? Which is nor, nor do I think that prohibition nor do I think that prohibition is a good idea. I think that there's <laughs> yeah. probably going to be all sorts of uh, unexpected negative side effects of having legalized weed in Worcester. I would be stunned if those negative side effects outweigh the many positives that we will have from decriminalization. Yeah. But that doesn't here. mean that I'm not worried about the, the, the bad stuff. Marijuana's already here, by the way, too. I don't know if you're aware. You're pointing this direction. You're saying it, it, no, Gary Rosen? Yeah, in the city. Oh. <laughs> Gary Rosen is actually holding right now. And that, no, I mean, it's just here. That's, yeah, but that's not going to change anything. The, the interesting thing, though, is that we've got folks that are, are so, and I think this is one of those uh, issues that we've had in Worcester for quite some time, is the short-sightedness that goes into trying to tackle a problem where there is none. Uh, or creating a problem uh, to solve where, where there wasn't previously a problem to be had. I'm surprised that, that that little item for tonight hasn't actually gotten more attention because it could potentially be devastating in terms of one of the things that has gotten Worcester a lot of significant attention over the last few years. Yeah, you know, I would, I would say to people who are concerned about uh, the issue of marijuana in Worcester and who have not made it a priority to get involved in things around that, that I would not panic about this one item because there are these items, much as Councillor Rosen every week has an item about how we need to do our recycling a different way, mm -hmm. and it's been going on for years, and so far the council has not figured out how to make that happen. A similar things has been going on with anti-marijuana stuff on the council agenda. So what I would say is if you are interested in the issue and you haven't gotten involved on the civic level, you should be showing up at the meetings. It doesn't have to be this week because next week there will be another item that you can, <laughs> another whole litany that you can that push back on. And we're almost we're almost ready for our next break. Um, Why don't you read to me over here, Mike? You, you were you were going to go in deep uh, on some history here. Well, you know, I'll, I'll I'll read I'll read a little bit until we run out of time. This is from a book called Worcester Legends: Incidents, Anecdotes, Reminiscences, etc., connected with the early history of Worcester, Massachusetts, and vicinity, compiled by William A. Emerson, corrected by Franklin P. Rice, and published by Denholm and McKay Company. Copyright 1905. And now I think I've probably run out all of our time just reading the title of this book. Just when the first settler, located in Worcester, is not positively known, but previous to 1674, one person, Ephraim Curtis from Sudbury, settled upon his claim, situated on what is now Lincoln Street. Other settlers soon followed, among the more noted of whom were Captain Daniel Gookin of Cambridge, Daniel Henchman of Boston, Thomas Prentice of Woburn, and Lieutenant Richard Beers of Watertown. And he just goes on to talk about, uh, yeah, that it seems like everything was going really fine for, as it turns out, about a year. <laughs> and then all hell broke loose. Everybody left. Everything was burned down. Uh, and, then it's put, and then it's put back together. On account of the threatened Indian depredations, the settlement resigned deserted for several years, about 10 years. But in 1684, a second attempt at settlement was made. And then the third attempt at settlement was 1706. Fascinating. It is fascinating. We're going, to, we're going to take a break. You've been listening to 508 on Unity Radio. Where do you want to go from here? Uh, so this, I want to talk about ones to watch. Yeah. I don't know that I want to read this book. I feel like I could read this book if we took, really wanted to dedicate 10 minutes to it. But I don't yeah, you don't want to do Yeah. We've done episodes that were this, that were this bad before. <laughs> We've done so many episodes. People watching this, people watching this at home. Remember the one that we did with the, what are the, things with the Buddhist rallies? Hank, what, how long is the next uh, segment? Uh, your next segment? 
In length, will be about 10 minutes. Okay. Okay. Just ID for, the, for me the things that you want to take off. I want to talk about, I want to go through ones to watch, and then we can talk about what, whatever. And then the final segment, I want to talk about future guests and future plans. Okay. So, um, yeah, ones to watch isn't going to take a long time either. So we could, I mean, we you could. Pull that out so I can see some of those for you. Oh, sure. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. Hank, how are things going around the station today? I would say that things today are, are going quite well. Thank you for uh, for asking. Uh, you know, we're excited about the launch of a new program, and so that has really raised all of our spirits here at Unity Radio. It's very, it's very, uh, it's very exciting. This is actually we haven't done what we would normally do on Five Way, which I think is start on the street and then walk the camera up the stairs. This is a, uh, this is like an administrative building at Becker where we are. <laughs> Is, you have right? disclosed our secret I location, mean, yes. Yeah, and yeah. they have put us in the in the attic in the IT building. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty interesting. I remember. I remember years ago when Micropower FM was, you know, a glimmer in the FCC's eye, and it's excited to see that like Micropower FM is like a thing in America. Well, it really is, and I mean, uh, a lot of the people who have been using those low powers, of course, have been have been churches. So sure, I don't know how many people are sort of doing what we're doing. Which really is this community talk show station? Right. A lot so of stuff about to see how it goes. Right. So you have right. So you have like the Western Magazine show, and you have Gary Rosen's right. doing a show, and you're doing yep. a show every day, and yep. Dale LePage is doing a show, and all these other people talking about Worcester, talking about Worcester issues. It really is talking about Worcester. You can't get local enough for us. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, you know. Uh, actually, I guess we have to introduce this on the air. This next segment. Um, you know, we, I, I don't know if I want to talk about the details of how the Pulse is redesigned, but the Pulse is really redesigned, man. It looks fantastic, too. They did a good yeah. job with it. It, has a, it seems like it's aimed at a completely different demographic. It's like nothing, no ads about tanning. There used to be all so much stuff about tanning in this magazine. I think we have fewer tanning now than salons in Worcester. That's I don't know what it is. You know, I used to always, my impression was always that it was, that the target demographic was targeted at uh, women, in their early, women in their early 20s. But women in their early 20s used to tell me they thought it was dedicated to guys in their 40s who were trying to figure out how to date women in their early 20s. I think, no, and it, th that's why I think the sleazy sense that it used to have. Yeah, I've, I've, I, this is the kind of prep we do on this show. Underlining crayon. <laughs> the highlights of people. Yeah. You know, time, it is, I don't know, are we just getting old or is this list changing? Like, time was like everybody in this list was like already on our show and now it's like people have never half, even half met. Age. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. How many, how many minutes? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. 30 seconds, ladies and gentlemen. We're just flipping through Pulse, the Pulse magazine. I say good job with this redesign, guys. Cool. People to watch in 2018. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there they are. Can you give me a countdown? I'll we'll do 10 minutes about this. All right, 20 so. seconds. All right. And we're back. This is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. And I'm Brendan Mellican. This is Brendan Mellican. <laughs> this is the water, and this is the well. Drink full and descend. The horse is the white of the eye and dark within. 
this is the water and this is the well, drink full and descend, the horse is the white of the eye and dark within. Brendan, one of our oldest traditions on 508 has been to read the Pulse Magazine's annual uh, people to watch, ones to watch list. It used to be because like you and I were on this list and like a lot of the regular panelists on the show would be on this list. So yeah, I think that's how it started. It was mostly just to, you know, to highlight a lot of the folks. It, seemed, it was always people who we were talking to. And I love looking at it now because, well, one, most of the people on this list are like half my age. Um, and... Two, like, I haven't met most of them, and they're all doing some really, really cool things. They are. It's very inspiring. It's very inspiring. So I'm just going to read you the read you the highlights. Oh, and uh, we all. I think another one of our traditions is that we always promise we're going to interview them during the, uh, the the upcoming year, and then we never interview them. So we're I'll probably you down in again. advance. We're definitely yeah. going to interview them this year. Yeah. Uh, here we have Elizabeth Lambui, who is 31 and the director of development at Nativity Schools. Currently, she's also sitting on the board for the city strategic plan and doing a ton of other stuff. We have. Italo Fini, who I always think of as such a rogue, I always think of as such a rogue individual. 18 years old, Dante Camparetto's campaign manager, infamous young Worcester activist. Alexis Santiago, 22, creator of Paseo, an upcoming app that will revolutionize the world of grocery shopping. Tom Matthews, 23, PR guy for the Railers. A guy I know, my Facebook friend Tom Matthews. Good job, Tom. A good, a good man. Definitely. He's actually done a really great job with uh, PR for the Railers thus far. I've been super impressed with the content they're putting out, just trying to get keep the city amped up around. Uh, have, have you gotten to see a Railers game yet? Uh, no. That's a, you, it's okay to say no. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, I get. I mean, let me tell you this: those settlers back in sixteen whatever, they were not watching any professional hockey games. It's an old Worcester tradition to ignore professional hockey. Feel <laughs> okay. I feel okay. much better about this now. Feel okay doing it. I, I promise I'll get to a game soon, Tim. I saw the. I mean, I, I mean, I saw the inaugural game of the railers that's just because i actually care about western brendan well maybe you could have caught me some tickets and i would have showed up too (laughs) um stephanie mendez 26 vice president of alpfa which is a latino networking association also all these people have like like so many boards and commissions and projects and things that they're doing yeah i feel like when we were both a part of this it was uh hey like here's some cool people doing some neat things and now when they like each one of these it's a it's a full page cv and but again they're super young and yeah, i feel extremely unaccomplished every time and more so every time this comes out it's, i you know i actually think that this is another i mean i feel like we're i don't want to be too much of a worcester booster because that also doesn't feel like a, the, the right thing to do worcester wise but i feel like the fact that they've raised the bar so high in the pulse ones to watch list over the last 10 years is another sign of like the excitement in worcester that's how you can actually measure how far the city is moving based on the length of the cv of each of the pulses to watch here's matt achilles cross 20 he's a dj i'm just gonna say that i'm gonna kind of i'm gonna kind of throw some shade on these guys and just kind of not <laughs> play them up so much and talk about all the cool stuff they're doing here's aaron goldstein who is 35 and a chef forming his own concept at noah's table which will include the creation of a cooking school in worcester do you know anything about this i uh, know not noah's in, in particular no. I'm, I'm always so disconnected from restaurants in worcester i'm not the person to ask here is a here's a group uh, called Another Theory Productions. They're an independent film company. They've completed multiple films, shorts and full features alike. Uh, and they say 2017 has been a big year for us. We hope to keep growing as people for the better. Here's Olivia Francois, who is 28 and the founder of Breaking Bread. This is a ministry out of Straight Ahead Ministries on Main Street. Oh, sure. They are collecting food and backpacks mm-hmm. and coats and all the kinds of things that people do collections of and redistribute them. And I tell you, Brendan, from my from my small amount of volunteering I do, there's a ton of stuff in Worcester. There's a ton of food and clothing in Worcester. Uh, and there are a ton of people in need in Worcester. And it is those volunteers and those organizations that bridge the gap between that big pile of stuff and it 
getting into the right hands. The thing that's always impressed me about the Straight Up Ministries group is uh, the number of individuals there that have like real serious uh, stories behind them. Uh, they're not folks that just were interested in volunteering some time. There's uh, some young people working over there that have probably seen some of the darkest aspects that humanity has to offer, uh, but have managed to spin their lives around full 180 and pull off some really, really incredible accomplishments. Yes, my, my, hat, my hat is off to all these folks. We also have Nassim Aoudeh, who is 24, the CEO of Alpinax, which is a drone company doing different drone things in the Alps. That, that and drone he's holding in that photo that you can't see because this is radio, it looks terrifying. Uh, if, if it anyone, if it looks like a sweet weapon. Whoever is at the Worcester Police Department fielding all of the UFO phone calls uh, over in the city of Worcester, Nassim is your guy. This is that's that is a terrifying thing. This is what we need to have in the next Star Wars. And we need him, crazy we need fan to have him on the weapon. show and flying that in this tiny studio. We should we should totally do this. We should totally do this. Well, there's the ones to watch, Brendan. These are the people that we should keep under intensive surveillance in uh, 2018. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, um, I want to mention, I guess, get back to this question of, like, Worcester politicians. Sure. Because we love, we love to, do we love to hate them? We just love to gossip about them. We just love to try to examine them and understand them. Um, and this sort of strange dual transformation that we're having in 2018. And one of them is that, that again, like, you know, like, Mike Gaffney is gone, mm-hmm. which, for good or for ill, and may or may not be in, that impactful in itself, but it's such a, like, Ending to the story. I mean, there's all this litigation and stuff. Um, and w- I would love it if Mike could be on the show. I think we're never going to be able to get Mike on the show because I don't even know if we'd ever get Mike to come back to the city. But if by chance he's listening somehow. Come on. Come no, on. call in. He's in Florida now. Call in. We, we want to actually have you on the show. Give the number again. That number is 508-471-5265. So, yeah. But it's like, that, it's like that end. So, like, it looked like for maybe four years there we were having this real um, conservative political surge, organizing surge, and then with him not being on the council and his wife and both of them dropping out and moving away, it, that's, you could tell the story like that's the end. Now, it might not be the end of the story. Like People may say, oh, they thought it was the end, but it was actually just the first chapter. But at this point, it looks like it's the end. This is where I compare it to the Star Wars Christmas special and that people talking about Worcester and Worcester politics don't even talk about this. Mm-hmm. They don't even talk about Wookiee Christmas because they can't figure out how to put that opening chapter, final chapter, whatever it is, into the story of Worcester. Um, and then the other thing is that, um, you know, for a long time, I try to, I try to explain to people about Worcester politics, because when I came to Worcester, I did not understand Worcester politics for like 10 years. I massively misunderstood it. And now, after, ten, now, after all that time, you've learned that nobody understands anything about Worcester politics. You just have to pretend that you know everything about Worcester politics, and people <laughs> will just nod their heads and say, oh, yeah, he gets it. Like, none of us have any idea what's going on here. I, you know, That's I don't know that I understand any of the... I don't think that I understand anything going on in back rooms, and I probably don't understand the real story, but I feel like I understand the general political... I understand it as well as if you actually sat down and read about it, you would understand it, which is way better than I understood it when I first showed up here. Mm-hmm. In part because people have names like city councilor, titles like the mayor. And you can't mistake that for being like a mayor because we have a situation in Worcester, we have a form of government in Worcester where the manager, the city manager, the hired city manager is the administrator, the executive, and the council and the mayor are like this legislative thing. They do a lot of advocacy, ombudsman, you know, like if a street in front of your house is not getting fixed, you talk to your councilor and your councilor is kind of like who works. Well, I mean, you, Brendan Malikin, you just call 
you call the people because you know all the people. But somebody like me just calls my city councilor and says, what's going on with my street? And they, they do that like constituent services stuff. Yeah, or you could also make, think, make the comparison that the city manager functions as sort of like a CEO and yeah. your uh, city council is like a board of directors. Sure, that, I mean, that's a, that's, a perfect, that's a perfect example. And right, so you never think of the board of directors as being like that directly in charge of the company. Mm-hmm. Maybe they provide leadership, maybe they don't. Mostly they're just, you know, they do different things in different companies. But um, They usually just step in when things get weird. Yeah, but so I always talk about that a lot of what the city council do, it does is LARPing, live action role playing. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing where you take a foam sword and you run and you're like, I'm a fighter, you're a wizard, we're going to have a battle in the middle of a field and put it on YouTube. That a lot of the stuff they do in the city meetings Just to like, pause for a second, Mike. 99% of the people who are listening to the, this radio station have no idea what LARPing is. Oh, but I hope us, that it's a real I, thing. My, yeah. my, my secret wish is that 99% of them do you understand know. what LARPing is, and they find my characterization of LARPing to be offensive because the <laughs> LARPing they did last weekend was sweet, <laughs> and they didn't put it on YouTube. Um, so I always say that, you gotta, that if, if you think about these guys as LARPing ombudsmen, that is an oversimplification, mm-hmm. and it's kind of glib, but it gets you way closer to the truth than thinking of them as the mayor and the city council, sure. which is what they are, but which is not not like in a, a different city with a different form of government. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you were telling me that you were a little bit surprised or, or somewhat um, taken aback at uh, Mayor Petty's sort of like, I guess, re-inaugural speech where he talked a lot about housing policy and like housing needs to be a priority, homeownership needs to be a yeah. priority, because this is like taking a leadership role on like a real issue, which is not what a LARPing ombudsman would do. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's what's fascinating about it. It's So the last time I can remember a, a inaugural address that felt like it had some substance to it, say, it was uh, when Joe Bryan was uh, elected mayor. and But it was a different time in Worcester. And so I think a lot of the things that were being focused on were more hypotheticals, they were more philosophical, uh, it was more about identity and, and what have you. I, I feel like Joe, in a weird way, has Mayor Petty has gotten kind of beat up a little bit in certain circles because the, the items that he honed in on, particularly in housing, are not like the most exciting necessarily or attractive issues to be focused on. But they're they're the core of <laughs> of of the city, right? I mean, like something that is as as seemingly boring as housing. Your housing stock is really how the city is defined. That's going to be the one build, the one kind of building that the majority of people coming through the city see. It's going to be the one kind of building that the people living in the city uh, experience firsthand. It, it, it impacts everybody. But then it's also where you start looking at the value of the city overall, right? We just finished up having these ma- our, our annual massive conversation about tax classification. The residential side of that is usually the most uh, vocal uh, and opposed to any changes being uh, made to their their tax classification, but the value of the that's uh, to those properties is very much what determines uh, how that classification classification plays out. And the, the, as you go down the list of all the things that the housing issue touches, whether it be um, perceived or potential growth uh, in in the city from the residential side, which by all accounts it seems when our next census comes through in two years we are going to be probably surprised by how much growth we've actually managed to to capture in the city mm-hmm. or the quality of the housing from like the old three-deckers that, you know, we don't even really think about as locals anymore, but are, are these incredible, the gems that we have that in many cases have just been kind of plastered over with uh, vinyl siding mm-hmm. and forgotten about for, for decades, but are these, these beautiful testaments to the the fact that Worcester was like this multi-generational city where entire families would occupy the same uh, building in, in the same neighborhood yeah, for generations yeah. to come. And we've just kind of forgotten about a lot of that. It's not to say that we have to go back to all of those ideas. 
but we need to, again, sticking to the idea that the thing that you and I usually discuss are, are the stories of the city, that we need to pay respect to them, but then use them to set us in the right direction about what we're going to do to tackle some of these issues, like entire neighborhoods that have been kind of left to fall in disrepair, uh, or uh, the, the types of construction that we're going to be doing from on the residential side, but in terms of apartments. If we're going to be looking to see, seek to bring in large developers for uh, apartment complexes, do we want to make sure that we're actually treating them fairly in terms of the t kind of taxation that we're living on? There's right. There's huge issues th there that... That's something that the council is, is, may, may be discussing soon, is the idea that we should be taxing big apartment buildings commercially, which means double the tax rate of a residential building, which is, they would be if they were a small apartment building. Which is a great way to probably capture uh, some money, but is also a great way to ensure that nobody's going to come into your city yeah, to, to that develop say, massive apartment buildings. Oh, this big old factory, what can we do with it? We can turn it into apartments. Oh, no, we can't because you're going to tax us so much. And Make it unaffordable to do so. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the dual tax rate is crazy. How many minutes do we have? Two. We have two minutes left. Um, Brendan, in two minutes, do you, so like my I do lots of things in two minutes. Oh yeah. Tell yeah. me what you'd like to see me do in two minutes. Here's what I would like. I would like to hear you do something in two minutes. Um, my takeaway from reading about the mayor's uh, housing address was that he wants to see more home ownership in Worcester, and mm -hmm. the council would be doing stuff on this. Do you think? In, do you think we should be encouraging home ownership? I always worry that we. Over encourage homeownership in this country. I think there's, I say this as a homeowner, right? I think there is an odd fascination with owning a home in the United States, but I think it is is it is related directly to and becomes necessary, in the sense that we don't have as many um, stabilization programs that say like European countries have that make uh, being a renter much more viable. Mm. Uh, when it comes to being a homeowner it becomes this sort of long-term gam gamble where you're you're looking at that equity that grows over time mm -hmm. and figuring that into being like your the, the core of your personal portfolio. So right. barring some massive shift in the, the, this, the form of government that we have here in the United States, which I don't see coming anytime soon, uh, I think homeownership is kind of an important thing to, to, to focus on as uh, oh, I... a representative of, of the health of a city like Worcester okay. anyways. Okay, okay. Yeah, huh. I mean, I, I think it's a, it is an important thing to be focused on, and I think there's some 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 huge areas there where we really haven't tapped into potential. Thank you. We know we're gonna take a break, but we'll be right back. I'm I'm so unable to tell the time here. I should have brought a second it's watch. It's the red counter up there. Is that what? It's all right. Is yeah, we got uh, you know, so it's one forty nine. But that's all right. I mean, I'll just I can just follow along with you guys too. Huh? Okay. And our final segment is like how many minutes long, probably? So we'll come back. It'll be about 51. So you'll have about eight, nine eight mm -hmm. minutes or so. Okay. All right. So the last section, let's talk about guests that we want to have. Let's finish up a little bit on the housing stuff. Do you want to talk about housing? I feel so unprepared. I'm happy to listen to you talk about housing. I have nothing. I mean, you don't need me to say anything in response, but I have nothing to say in response. I, I'll just let you know when I'm bored. Yeah. All right. All right. Good, good, good. Unity Radio. So ladies and gentlemen, watching on... YouTube, we have microphones. We have this, these headphones right here. This is a real... Uh, Ear goggles, you know, headphones. Is that what they what have? else did you have to... Uh, you want to do other than housing? Uh, I mean, again, like we could talk about any of these things for like 25 minutes. That, what, what do we want to talk about 10 minutes, I think, is a, is a, a, trickier, uh, a trickier topic to me. Um, yeah, maybe we can, just take a we can just take a breath and we can just talk slowly about housing or slowly about what we want to do in the, in the next year on this show. Besides besides interview all the, the ones to watch, guys. And fail miserably. Uh, obviously. Yeah. 
We could just try to talk really slowly for 10 minutes. I don't think we're going to have any trouble filling it up. What's what's a, what should be uh what are like our high leverage points on housing reform? Hmm? We could come back in about 20 seconds. We're going to yeah. back in about 20 seconds. Okay. This is so complicated. <laughs> you get your little alarm system for your, your watch. I know. We're gonna we see. I think getting the se- separate camera that we don't have to move around is gonna be a big part of this. Yeah. Not being insane. If you want to use that, just get a tripod and put it in the corner. Well, that's <laughs> visual. I mean, that's even visually. That's probably even visually worse than this. And we're back. This is Five Away to Show About Worcester. This is Brendan Milliken. It is Brendan Milliken. And I'm Michael Benedetti. And Brendan, I want to ask you more about housing policy in Worcester. I'm curious to know, what are the high leverage points as I would think of them in Worcester? Like, what what are the issues on housing that you think the council could actually uh, make a big impact by changing around? And I'll say, I mean, it's not like the council doesn't talk about housing. No, no. And it's not like there aren't people on the council who care about housing. Mo, I mean, I'll tell you, like, Mo Bergman in particular has been very vocal about this, and he's constantly has... Uh, items on the agenda, trying to make it easier to build, uh, like what do you call it, in-law units, mm-hmm. or you know, revamp your attic, or revamp part of your house for your grandmother to live with you in. All sorts of things like this to encourage people to redevelop housing, fix housing, investing in housing. Where, what do you think is like if the council, if you were going to advise the council, like where do you start trying to trying to make housing the housing situation was through better. Where do they start? Well, Mike, I start by first acknowledging that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And there are probably people far better suited than me. To, you, don't, uh, you do own a house. I do own a house, but you, that's about it. That's you, like saying you own You've a, lived in a house most of your life. I, I own a car, too. That doesn't mean that I can build a car or that I can tell you what, what, what is the best car for you to own. All right, fair enough. Yeah. No, I think some of this stuff, though, historically is important to look at as well. Like, like Worcester is, is a city that we went from, um, you know, like that, that multifamily, three-decker sort of landscape to single-family homes, mostly by virtue of the GI Bill, uh, so post-World War II. And I think that's something that we haven't really taken a good look at for a city that is very working class to, or working class to middle class, is that the, the equity that's created by housing is probably the most important aspect of housing for the homeowner. But it also is the, the bar, the, the, what raises the bar for entry for people who are not currently homeowners. So like, if, if you think today, like how does the average person go out and buy a house? Like a working class, middle class person, it's probably in many cases going to be either like your parents gave you some cash uh, to make that happen. You got married, so you had some cash on hand that you're able to use for a down payment for a house. But like now, let's say like Worcester, some of our, our, our best and most significant growth comes from immigrants to the country that are coming here not under the best of circumstances. Folks that are coming here under like refugee status, that are coming from places that we've managed as a country to screw up. So like, hey, come on, uh, and Worcester is a great place for them. And thankfully it, it actually enhances our culinary scene quite a bit as well too. So it works out for everybody, except in this one capacity of like, how do you become a homeowner? So I think that equity side is, is really where the city council should be putting a lot of focus on. We've spent years now discussing ways to help people transition out of things like public housing. I'm a firm believer that that's a part of that component, right? Like instead of just viewing folks that are in public housing as being renters, uh, and, and unfortunately I think that there's a large swath of the population that views them as a burden on the system because they are there multi-generationally, we should be finding creative ways to make sure that the folks that are in public housing that have an interest in, in owning their own home, that there's a way for them to make an investment in the public housing system that is viewed by the housing authorities as, say, like 
an equity program mm. so that they could cash out at some point in time and then have that same nut of cash that you know a, a middle class multi-generational resident of Worcester might already have on hand to be able to buy their first home. And I, I think there are a lot of avenues like that that we haven't actually looked at. And what ends up happening, so you went back to uh, earlier, you were talking about how the council oftentimes focus, uh, functions as that sort of ombudsman for right. uh, the, the local voice. I think oftentimes whenever we have conversations about whether it be housing issues themselves, whether it be the taxes associated with housing, the loudest and oftentimes most correct voices that we hear from are the folks that are on fixed incomes, that are worried of getting priced out of their homes, have legitimate concerns about uh, how they can stay solvent in their homes. But it's a relatively small population. And I think that we also oftentimes do ourselves a disservice by not going above and beyond and making sure that their concerns are taken off the table before anything else, right? Like, so if you've got somebody on a- So you just say like, we're gonna change this tax situation around so that fixed income people, you guys are good, your taxes are not gonna go up too much, don't worry I about think it. That's now the let's best worry example, about everybody right? else. Like, and that should be the easiest thing to do, right? Like go down the roster of the folks that are on a fixed income, you know, like starting with, by age, and say, yeah, nothing to worry about. We're, you're good. We're taking and, care of you. And then you can say, now big picture, with that, whatever percentage of the population taken care of, we can have more general housing tax, housing policies that function for the other whatever it is, 80% right, of is, the city. I think is how we need to be viewing things because, you know, like myself, it's I'm not a wealthy person by any stretch of the imagination, but my wife and I are young enough where our income is still headed in an upward tra- trajectory on a long yeah. enough timeline. Yeah. So when I see a tax increase come through year to year on our home, I don't look at it and say, well, how am I going to make that happen? Like that That's going to line up pretty closely with whatever uh, extra income we've generated throughout the year anyways. It right. balances itself out. Right. Equity in the house balances itself out. But I can totally see why if you, how if you're on a fixed income, that would be the most terrifying thing in the world. You're, you're talking about something that literally breaks the bank. So the city should be taking that off the table. That should be the first job. Uh, we, we can't allow ourselves to be scaring folks that are, are, are quite literally uh, you know, existing against the ropes because they are on a fixed income. Mm-hmm. And then the next step is actually taking a look at, I think there's some folks in the city who have been trying to get the city to pay attention to this for quite some time now. We need to not only be focusing on downtown. Downtown is taking care of itself from a residential perspective by virtue of all this new construction. And it's incredible. Right. I mean, we should say it's taking care of itself because it's been taken. I mean, people have spent a lot of political whatever to get downtown moving in the right direction. And it's it's moving now. That's, uh, to- totally. Good. A ton of, of political capital has been spent, and for all the right <clears throat> reasons. Uh, we, we've got a lot of great developers uh, currently, uh, shovels in the ground. Uh, a lot of them are actually starting to button up their projects now. Um, and things look fantastic. Now I think it's the time to actually start ticking off a few adjacent neighborhoods to downtown and figure out which ones uh, are best suited for revitalization. And it's the three deckers in, in, in particular, there are some options there that I think we really need to start studying. Southie in Boston is probably my favorite example. Just like Worcester, all three deckers, they're all condoed out. And each one of those floors of a three decker is worth two or three times what a single fam- your average single family home in Worcester is worth stacked on top of each other. It just makes, and I know the economics are different in Boston or whatnot, but there, there seem to be some really great ways that we can lower the bar for entry uh, into the housing market for new buyers, but also be uh, capitalizing on our existing housing stock in a way that makes for everybody involved uh, as profitable as possible. Brennan, thank you for that for that for that wisdom and, I made and that, that eloquence. No idea what I'm talking about. We, we have about we have about ninety seconds left, so I want to um, say that we are going to keep doing the show weekly. It's been until Hank tells us not to, and we'll slowly we'll figure out how to do it so that it's not uh, 
like juggling a bunch of plates or whatever, spinning plates, juggling plates. I don't know which is harder. Um, we're going to throw up some Twitter polls about future guests. we got a bunch of different people who have said that, yes, they'll be on the show. And so if you go to twitter.com slash 508worcester, you'll find our Twitter account. And we'll put up a Twitter poll the next couple of days with maybe four people who we think are kind of like easy to get as guests or logistically easy to get as guests. And uh, very curious to see the kind of people that you would like to see uh, listen to talk about Worcester on this show. There's so many people in Worcester who have such interesting... Um, Backgrounds and who you never really hear from them. You hear from them if you're their Facebook friend, and otherwise you never know what they're doing. Well, yeah, there's like 200,000 people here, and you, you hear like from the same 20 or 30 people on a pretty regular basis. We're going to try and fix that. Well, this is Brenda Malkin. This is Hank Stoltz. I'm Michael Benedetti. Pieandcoffee at gmail.com is the email address to complain and send me mean things. We will uh, talk to you next week. It's a miracle. <laughs> Take care, Worcester. Bye, Worcester.